Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Uh, I am entering into a, a role of church historian this morning. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what I want to do is, in a few minutes I'm going to show you a video that occurred here in this room 21 years ago. A vision that took place, and I'll describe this in just a minute. <clears throat> but we're in a, a place, I think, in in our church in America where, uh, where we need to be, we need to know the times and seasons we live in and we need to enter this, this realm and the portal that God has opened up for us. So uh, I'm probably gonna be pretty serious when I talk about this today. Um, and I don't mean it to be a downer, but I think it should hopefully encourage you and bring you to a place of, uh, of divine recognition of where we're at. Wednesday morning of this week, I received a text from my sister. She doesn't go to this church. She lives in the valley here, but uh, <clears throat> she said, I just watched a TV program. And the man on the program is Dutch Sheets, and he mentioned that in uh, 2001, he was in Boise, Idaho, right after 911 at a church. And she asked, was that your church? I said, yes, it was. Dutch was on the, the television program Flashpoint. And he then described a vision that he saw in this room 21 years ago. This is on national TV. He saw it 21 years ago in this room. Uh, I'm going to show you that clip of what he saw. And then we're going to intersperse it because after what happened is after I heard that Dutch had spoken this, I went and watched the video. And then Connie and I came to the church and looked through our archives. And we found the videos of some of that weekend. You'll have to understand something. That... That week was the week of the original 911. Connie and I had flown into DC the day before, September 10th, 2001. We had received a call a week or two previous asking us to be interviewed by ABC News' Peter Jennings. They were, they were gonna be interviewing us in the Capitol on 911. We flew into Washington, D.C. Uh, along the Potomac. And we were sitting next to the window and Connie mentioned to me, boy, we sure are close to the Pentagon when we land. And you do. If you go into Reagan Airport, you fly along the Potomac if you're going south. And it, you're just right there. It's right beside you. Um, and it was just kind of a, I don't know, just kind of a recognition moment. That was 9 10. 
uh, I had an uneasy feeling that night. Both of both Connie and I did. We were just kind of. When you have a spiritual something happening in you, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about, and you don't know what to make of it. You pray, and I received a call. I received a call from uh, ABC News saying that uh, we're going to have to delay the or postpone the interview tomorrow because we don't have a crew available, a film crew available in D.C. today. So we'll postpone it till later. The name of the program was Prayer Warriors. I don't know why ABC was doing Prayer Warriors, but they were. So that night went and Connie and I both, we still had this something in our gut. Just wasn't right. We got up in the morning, beautiful, beautiful day in D.C. And we were in the front room of the prayer, prayer center praying. All of a sudden, one of our staff came, came up to us and said, Pastor Ken, the nation's under attack. Well, I had no idea what they were talking about until we went in the back room, looked at the TV as it showed the planes crashing into the, into the World Trade Center. A few, not too much later, we heard the crash of the plane into the Pentagon. We actually heard it. The sirens were going off. Everything was, it was the most surreal moment probably of my, li my life and Connie's life. And then the whole streets, the streets were full of people evacuating, praying. They were either praying, crying out, or in shock. You know, isn't it interesting how people cry out to God when they're in trouble? And we were handing out uh, water and trying to help as much as we can. And uh, that all occurred on that Tuesday. Then um, we had scheduled a, a conference called the Glorifier Conference in this room for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday following. We didn't know 911 was happening. We had no idea. But we had scheduled it then, and we couldn't get back. We had scheduled uh, Dutch Sheets. We had scheduled Cindy Jacobs and one other prophet to come. And uh, none of them seemed to be able to make it. Finally, uh, Cindy and her husband, Mike, drove all the way from Colorado Springs and made it here for Friday night. Dutch happened to find up, get a plane, and he flew in just before the service on Friday. So the Glory Fire Conference was occurring. Connie and I didn't make it. I think it was until Saturday. We, had, we were delayed by all the planes, uh, the problems there. So... I give that preface to what's going to occur on this video. Then, um, this, this week, Dutch gives this, gives this vision that he had that weekend in this church, in this room. I'm going to show it to you because he described uh, what he saw that night and what was occurring his vision still hasn't taken place. He's still waiting for it. So we have, now why he told it now, I don't know, except that maybe God's getting us ready for revival. So I want to do this. I want to pray. I want to show the video. Interspersed in his video are clips of his prayer when he was here. Father, we pray that you would just capture our hearts and minds. Let the anointing move us to where you want us. 
We pray, Lord, if this is you moving this church into a new level of prayer and revival, I pray that you do it. Open our hearts to whatever you want. In Jesus' name. Amen. Watch the video. Well, I was scheduled to do a, speak at a conference in Boise, Idaho. And as most of the people watching us will remember, everything shut down. The nation was in shock, uh, just fear, dread. It was, a, it was just a surreal time. And throughout the week, we didn't know really what was happening. The airline shut down. So I could not get to the conference that I was supposed to speak at until Friday. You know, the 9-11 was a Monday. Uh, I didn't know if it would take, even take place, but it did. And it's one of the times, the only times in my life I've ever been scheduled to do something as far as speaking and dreaded it. I didn't want to go. I thought, I have no answers. I don't know what to say. No one knows what to say right now. And I did not have a word from the Lord. But I went in obedience and honoring my commitment. And when I got up to speak that night, I don't know what I was saying. I don't remember what I was saying. I don't think it was all that significant or important. But I had an experience that I've only had twice in my life. This was what I would call an open vision. While I was speaking with my eyes wide open, I began to see not what was natural, but I began to see things in the spirit. And what took me back so much was that it was well, with my eyes wide open. I saw as though it were an invisible hand. This was a large room, 1,500 people perhaps. I saw it was like a hand begin to write on the back wall, the far back wall of the auditorium. And uh it, it was. It looked like a neon light as it was writing, and it wrote Acts three nineteen. I mentioned it a while ago. I knew what the verse said. I was obviously distracted by this. I didn't stop and tell him what I was seeing yet, uh, but I was having trouble speaking because this was so d distracting, and I knew it was God. I knew what the verse said, but I didn't know what to do with it. So in my mind, I, I just sort of told the Lord or said to myself, as soon as I finish this point, I'm going to Acts 3.19. He obviously wants to say something from this passage. When I had the thought, I will finish this point that I'm sharing now, the sign began to flash on and off, on and off, on and off, blinking. And I knew God was saying, I don't want you to finish your point. I want you to go there now. It's really encouraging when you're up speaking and you realize God's not interested in what you're saying. Uh, obviously, he had something else he wanted to say. And I went to the verse and told him what it said. It's after the lame man had been healed, a crowd gathered, Peter began to preach. This is shortly after Pentecost. He seizes the moment and he says, if you will repent and turn to him, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Times is kairos, opportune, strategic times, not just general time, very significant, very strategic. Peter was saying, this is a special moment. This is a very strategic time. Refreshing is a weak translation. It's okay, but the word is anasuksis, and suko means to blow or breathe. That's the root word. Ana gives it repetition and intensity. So a really good amplified definition of this word is the blowing of the breath again intensely. I hear whirlwinds 
Lord, we just move into that heavenly place right now, into that whirlwind as it were, the power of your spirit that is whirling across this nation as the winds shift. Peter said, it's a strategic time. What happened to us in that upper room on the day of Pentecost? That's, he's not finished. There's a wind for you too. And if you respond right now as you should, that wind will blow again intensely. And as I shared this word, just the spirit of God filled this room and, 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 and the presence was so strong. And suddenly I saw not just the sign flashing on the back wall, I began to see like a movie. It was like the entire back wall of the church became a movie screen. It was like I was in a movie theater. And I told the people, I said, I'm having a vision. And I started narrating what I was seeing. I expected this to last for a minute or two, but it lasted for probably 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. And I just, this was obviously supernatural and different. I've never had anything else like this. But I just began to narrate what I was seeing. For this 40, 45 minutes, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Uh, people were just captivated, their eyes closed, listening. And I was relating what I was seeing. And what he showed me was what this revival would look like, this blowing of the breath again intensely. I saw the fire of God coming to America. It wasn't the fire of judgment. It was the fire of revival. I call forth a spirit of revival, the spirit of revival, the spirit of revival. I hear more than a wind, and this came to me earlier. I hear a whirlwind in the spirit. But what he highlighted and showed me specifically was this fire coming to the youth of our nation, the young people, campuses, college campuses, high school campuses, the fires of revival began to burn. And he literally showed me uh, campuses where this was happening. And I said, I see it on such and such. And I named the university. And I would talk about what I was seeing. And then I said, I see it on this campus. Uh, and I talked about what I was seeing. And then I realized this is going to the nation. I don't want to keep mentioning one or two. And people think it's only that one. Because what I saw was this was springing up everywhere. And what, what I saw was unlike anything I'd ever seen. This, I described it at one point in this vision as a violent love. He is coming. He is coming with a vengeance. He is coming. He's going to pour out his spirit on this land. He is going to do it. It was, it was coming with such intensity God said, I am coming to save this generation and nothing is going to stop me. It was so much passion from God, so much intensity that I turned to the speakers and I turned to those in the room at one point and I said, nothing is going to stop this. Nothing can stop it. And so as this broke out, obviously signs and wonders began to take place and the students would gather into uh, rooms and they would begin to talk about what happened and it grew in its intensity. And the next thing that, that was happening was these, these, the size of the, of the groups gathering uh, grew and there were thousands of kids, young people, 
all across America gathering, talking about Jesus, completely grassroots, completely spontaneous, led by no person, controlled by no person, planned by no person. God just began to hover over these universities. There would be a room of a thousand of these young people in an auditorium, and God would start moving. There was no one in charge. There was no one up preaching. Someone would begin to scream in the back that they were healed of this disease or that disease or their eyes were healed. And over here, someone else would do it and someone else would do it over here and kids would begin to get saved. They would just, they, they didn't know much. They would just start crying out to Jesus and Jesus was saving them. I saw this moving across the country. I saw people trying to stop it. Some of the administrators in, uni, in the universities, I saw uh, gatherings of leaders uh, those in charge saying, we have to get these kids to go back to class because the, they didn't want to go to class. Sporting events were canceled. Classes were canceled. Not because the, the sport events are bad, but because they didn't want to do anything else. This was so powerful. They wanted to get together and talk about what was happening. And as, as the administrators would walk into these auditoriums to try and stop them, power of God would be so strong, they would just fall under the power of God and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't stop it. And so this just began to take place. I saw mass deliverances. I've never seen anything like this yet. It, it rocked my theology because no, no one was speaking. They were just singing uh, maybe a chorus or a song that they knew. They didn't know a lot. Amazing Grace, perhaps. And the Spirit of God would begin to hover in the room and students would begin to be delivered from addictions, bondages, demonic strongholds in their life. No one touching them. No one saying this is about to happen. It was like when Jesus would go into the synagogue and the demons could not stand his presence and they would begin to scream and shout, leave us alone, leave us alone. Well, the presence of God came into these rooms with such intensity that the demons simply could not stay. I saw these kids being interviewed. They were asked, what is happening? What, explain this to us. They had no answer. They stopped doing drugs. They stopped uh, uh, some of the, per, uh, the, the perverted or sinful lifestyles that they were involved in. I saw them being interviewed saying, why did you stop this? Why aren't you doing these things anymore? And the student simply said, I don't know. I just don't want to do it. I love Jesus. I want to please him. Something in me tells me it's wrong. I don't want to do this. It became a holiness movement, but it was not like the, any holiness movement we've ever seen in a revival. No one was preaching it to them. No one was telling them how to live. Their hearts were simply changing and they wanted to please him. I saw this go across the nation. It was intense. It was powerful. It was unstoppable. And the, the other thing I saw was it was so raw. These kids that, you know, it's not like they changed the way they looked, dressed, acted. They, they didn't look like they were going to church. They didn't, they didn't change their attire. They just showed up as they were and God began to move. And then they wanted more of him. And what I saw also was they really didn't want religion. They really didn't want our forms. They didn't want somebody to, to, to preach at them. They wanted to know about Jesus. 
They wanted a relationship with him, but they didn't want religious form. They wanted something different. And, and they came with their problems. They came with their past. They came with, with their, uh, the, uh, uh, frankly, they came with mates and people that they, they shouldn't have been with. And, but they wanted this Jesus. And I found myself looking at all of this thinking, because of the sheer volume, because this was thousands, tens of thousands of young people were being saved around the nation. I found myself thinking, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we steward this? It was coming so quickly. How do we teach them? They want to know God, but they don't want our religion. And, and, and they've been taught that they can do this, they can do that. How do we teach them without uh, trying to put them in a form and a mold that they know nothing about and don't want? How do we teach them relationship without religion? And I finally, as I was watching this, 20, 30 minutes into it, just relating what I was seeing, I turned to the leaders on the platform and I was so serious when I said this. I said, this is going to be incredibly difficult to steward. It will be like the book of Acts. They just had to learn on the fly. It will be like Joshua who was told, you've never been this way before. The only way you can do this is to follow the cloud, follow me, follow the ark, because you've not been this way before. And what we're about to experience, we don't have a formula for. We don't have a, a pattern for thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, I believe eventually hundreds of thousands and millions of young people in America are coming to Jesus. We have, we're going to need to be ready to, 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 to take them into his presence and allow Holy Spirit to shape them, allow Holy Spirit to teach them, to show them what, who, what he wants, who he is. And so just to summarize it, I saw incredible power, incredible fire, the fire of revival, incredible signs and wonders, incredible passion, love for God, worship, spontaneous uh, outbreakings of Holy Spirit until the entire nation was on fire with the Why now? <clears throat> A Dutch asked this when he was here 21 years ago. He says, why Boise? But then he answered his own question. He said, and the Lord spoke to me, he said, that because there's authority here for the nation. There's an apostolic calling for the nation to turn the nation. And then he mentioned the heavens were volatile, meaning explosive, erupting, violent, characterized by change. And the church would be used to help direct and turn the nation. <clears throat> that vision has not been fulfilled. <clears throat> Therefore, it's still coming. 
Let me go back. Can I just, uh, for a few minutes, recount some things and then give us maybe some guidelines here? During Whitfield's revivals in America in the early 1800s, <clears throat> it is computed that 100,000 were converted in 1830 in the United States. In the great 1858 revival, uh, conversions numbered 50,000 a week. Now, you have to understand, there was only a few million in the United States at the time. And over the whole of the United States, there could not have been less than 500,000 conversions. A similar movement began in the United Kingdom, affecting every county in Ulster, Scotland, Wales, and England, adding a million souls to the churches in England. 50,000 souls were added to the churches of New England out of a population of about 250,000. In Northampton, Massachusetts in 1735, in the First Great Awakening, <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards wrote, there was scarcely a single person in the town, either old or young, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. Finney wrote of the revival in Rome, New York. This is uh, Charles Finney, the great revivalist. He said, as the work proceeded, it gathered in nearly the whole, it gathered in nearly the whole population. Of the 1858 revival in Sweden, an English minister's uh, resident in Stockholm reported, I should be disposed to consider that at least 200,000 persons have been awakened out of a population of 3 million. Basically, they were saying one out of 15 people were, be, were getting saved. So, do you believe it can happen in our day? Yes. Revival is an interesting word. Some people consider it kind of dirty. Dirty in the sense it's messy. Because revival is the revitalization of the church for a divine attack on society. Revival is the marshalling of forces fatal to the kingdom of darkness. Revival is the enlisting, training, and empowering of believers as a prelude to evangelization. Revival is God's military tactic that concentrates his resources for a vital blow at a crucial moment, at the Kairos moment. Revival is that which reinvigorates God's people with his truth and power. So why Boise? Why now? We can just watch the video and say, that was a nice... Those were nice services. Or we could say, God, are you getting ready to do something? Can we join in your move? We, we have to understand we need to discern the seasons we're in. Psalm 85, 6 says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We've got to be revived. There's an Old Testament scripture, Judges 2.10. Actually, 2 verses 7, 10, and 11. I call it a uh, two, 210 generation. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I think we're living in a day like that. We have a generation of young people that have no idea who Jesus is. Have you, have you seen the, uh, the news clips? They go out on the street, street of a city, and they interview these people. And they're interviewing them and asking them questions like, uh, 
uh, who's the first president of the United States? I don't know. I was, uh, and they show them a picture of a very famous person, either, you know, Abraham Lincoln or Reagan. They have no idea who they are. Wow. Now, that's exactly what it, mean, what it is like in the spiritual realm. They have no idea. And it's evident from this scripture that I just read that true faith in God cannot be transmitted from one generation to another unless there are new manifestations of God's power. Those manifestations will never transpire until hunger is converted to a faith that can believe it will happen again. Revival is a rediscovery of an eternal truth that has been converted to new terms, interpretations, and methods for a new generation. And the key to this, from possibility to reality, is for a new generation to be what they hunger to see. The generation that followed Joshua still had all the hierarchy intact. They still had priests, they had leaders, but they knew nothing of the power of God. And this generation, this Judges 2.10 generation had been reduced to ineptness and impotence because of it. Because each of them had been reduced to doing that which is right in his own eyes. It is easier to say that the days of miracles are past, or at least that miracles have been restricted, than to pay the price to resurrect them. Judges 6, verse 12 and following. This is the story of Gideon. God comes to Gideon. He says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? In other words, if God is for us, where are all the miracles we've heard about? I think that's a pretty good question. Why are, why are so few miracles performed in our midst? And God responds to Gideon by doing a miracle. He responded to Gideon's hunger by showing him a touch of the miraculous. I believe God's intent in this hour for those who can discern the times and seasons is to experience miraculous touches. The Judges 2.10 generation did not have a fresh experience with God. So they grew confused and lethargic. We see that today. And during these kinds of periods, people are confused, not totally cognizant of everything around them, and their perspectives change. People lose hope for revival. The church slumbers into survival mode. Survival will always be the thief of revival. As long as we're trying to survive, we will lose our perspective to revive. Listen to me carefully. Revival is for the church, not for sinners. It is a restoration or a revitalization, which we all need. The church is revived in order to reach out to the world. Revival presupposes outreach. To revive means to recover from loss or death, to recall from a state of apathy or lethargy, to recall to obedience, forgotten validations of God's heart, to reinvigorate or revitalize, to restore to an awareness of God's truth and power. Charles Finney once said, the fact is Christians are more to be blamed for not being revived than sinners are for not being converted. The church has a responsibility to recognize the times and the seasons of God and to properly receive the flow of the Spirit. 
Revival by its nature takes place in a time of moral darkness and national discouragement. I think we're there. Revival occurs when a generation recognizes its impetus, its impotence, sin, apathy, and realizes that it's God's time to do something about it. That's why the sons of Issachar knew the times and seasons and knew what Israel should do. In 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2, an interesting scripture. It says, listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. This is what he basically said. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And in the scripture, Asa, and who is the king, and the people repented. They destroyed the idols of their day. They repaired the altar of the Lord. And in verse 9, we read that when they sought the Lord's of Asa, the people followed him, and God restored his favor to his people. That's what he does in revival time. The key today is to discern the times and seasons of God. Remember when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because its citizens did not recognize the season of the Lord or the day of his visitation? If you, if you read scripture, Jesus wept because they did not see the day of their visitation. In Hosea 6, an interesting scripture says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now, in these verses, he says three days. The first day was for humility. God's people are humbled. The second day, the people are revived. And the third day, there's an abiding presence that comes that they may live in revitalization. That's what Hosea says is a revival. And he talks about the former and latter rain, which we've talked about before. The former rain was an outpouring after the autumn harvest that prepared the ground for plowing and planting. The latter rain came in spring and summer to cause the crops to ripen and mature. Hosea was saying that there is a move of God that both prepares the way and brings the harvest to full maturity at the same time. That will be the revival at the end of the age. And we come to Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, the verse that Dutch spoke about in the video. Let me read first three verses. Actually, this is a very prominent scripture when you go to Bible college. We talked about this scripture at length in Bible college. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. But he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, Dutch emphasized the first, the first verse, times of refreshing. Now, this whole context says this is going to happen just before the second coming. And he's saying this. Now, listen to this carefully. In verse 21, it says, heaven is restraining or restricting Jesus' return. He's holding him back until 
times of refreshing and revival come to the land. In other words, there's going to be this, this double portion anointing that's going to come on the land and that's going to enter and bring the greatest restoration of power, gifts, presence, and the glory that the church has ever known. It's going to come. Refreshing means, and Dutch mentioned it, it actually means revival. Recovery from heat, reviving with fresh air, recovery of breath. God is going to restore us. His healing power, his delivering presence, his glory is going to come. His presence, his mighty miracles, his restoration of families and homes and lost loved ones and health and authority, greater sense of direction than the church has ever known. And the body of Christ will become a vast army, a force to be reckoned with. That's what God wants to do. It's going to be a church without spot or wrinkle, a glorious church. It's important to note that this, this, this principle, when the Lord's purposes die with the generation, he never abdicates his plan. He simply waits for a new generation who will believe him. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for those. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18, it says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. The word, whenever anyone turns to the Lord is the word repent, repentance. Revival begins in a period when God's people begin to acknowledge that sin, lethargy, leanness, and compromise have subtly slipped into their lives and they must repent. I think we all could say that. Repentance means changing our thinking and our ways. Repentance means turning from our ways to God's ways. And the initial and primary key to every revival is repentance. But what is it that secures these outpourings? It's prayer. It's prayer. But repentance must precede prayer. Isaiah 59.1 says... Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So I guess what we're saying today is we all need to bow in repentance before God. No one here. We're all sinners saved by grace. Repentance is the primary key to revival. And without it, prayer is impossible. Sin prohibits God from hearing our petitions so we must repent so we can hear. It's a God-given call to transform us from anemic way of life to a transforming, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Repentance is the call in this hour to all who are tired of mediocrity and who desire real, real power. Repentance is the call to those who are tired of hype without substance. It's a call away from synthetic substitutes to a viable relationship with a living God. It's time for us to understand a few things. You will know that you need to repent if this is true of your life. I'm going to give you a few things. If we've accepted things that violate God's will as normative for our day. Right, right. If we can no longer differentiate between God's way and the world's way. Right. If we are rapture Christians or those who would rather escape hardship than contend for the truth. If we want everything instant and microwavable and are one willing to pay the price for God to move. Or if we read every verse in the Bible for what it can do for us with little regard for a hurting and dying world and what it can do for them. 
If we as the church of Jesus Christ are more changed by society, then we are transforming society. If we would rather hear about exploits than pay the price to do them. If we have not won any loss to Jesus lately. If the word of, God, of the Lord is spoken and there's no change in us. If we say one thing and live another, or if we have not forgiven everyone who has offended us, that we probably need to repent. I think we probably need to repent every day. Yeah. I remember years ago, Connie and I were in a meeting where Dr. Youngie Cho was. Dr. Youngie Cho was the pastor of the largest church in the world. It, he just recently passed away. It's in Seoul, South Korea. They have a prayer mountain, they have prayer that if you've, I was trying to find the clip of it so I could play it today. If you've never heard, if you've never heard prayer like the sound of many waters, you need to find this, you need to listen to this clip of prayer in his church. His church starts praying and it sounds like the sound of many waters out of Revelation. Anyway, we were in a, this meeting many years ago. I remember him standing up and he was asked, what's the success, what's the reason for the success of your church? He looked back at, back at us in his Korean way and his accent and he says, I pray and I obey. And then he giggles. <laughs> I pray and I obey. Habakkuk, I found an interesting scripture here. Are you still with me? I'm just gonna go for a few more minutes. I know it's a little later. We got started a little late today because we had quite a first service. Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3.2, it says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Oh, Lord, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then he goes on and he says, in the next two verses, he says, and God came. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Out of this scripture, I think we can say, revival can be defined in two words. God came. And God's coming is in response to prayer. John Alexander Dowie taught that a Christian's warfare is prayer warfare. And as long as he dwelled in the secret place of the Most High, demons gnashed their teeth in impotent rage. Maria Woodworth Etter said this, that if she went into a town or city and nothing happened, she would pray all night until God's presence overcame every obstacle. The Welsh revival was primarily a revival of prayer. Evan Roberts, who was the key to that, prayed continually for 13 months for the wave of revival to come. It is said of Roberts that his landlady kicked him out of his lodgings because she thought he was possessed, or at least mad because of his intense and loud praying. He came out of that prayer time and asked a friend, he said, now do you believe God can give us 100,000 souls? And that vision was fulfilled in six months. In six months' time, Wales had 100,000 salvations. Dio Moody's great success has been attributed to two little old ladies of prayer, Mrs. Sarah Cook and Mrs. Hawkthirst. They joyfully interceded on his behalf for the spiritual power that he lacked. Moody resisted them at first until he was overcome by the great power that their prayer invited. 
1905, the year before the Yazuza outpouring. Throughout the South, packed churches were for prayer and confession. Stores and factories in the Midwest closed. Schools closed. Colorado, 12,000 people attended prayer meetings in downtown theaters and halls. And in Portland, Oregon, they would, they would close the stores at noon for prayer. I have to tell you what happened to Connie and I. We were on our way back from 911, flying here on whatever day, Friday or Saturday. And we, we had to stop in Minneapolis. And it was a long layover, so we saw, thought we'd go to the Mall of America, which is only a few miles from the airport. We went there, and it was fascinating because I don't remember how many stores, Connie, but maybe half the stores were closed. It was around noon or so, 1 o'clock. And on the door of the store, it said, we're closed today. We are here as a result of what is happening. We're here for a day of repentance and prayer. We encourage you to pray. I had never seen anything like that before, but that happened all the time during these revivals. In revival prayer, and I'm, I'm going to take about, can, I, can you give me about six more minutes? In revival prayer, a person presents himself to God to give birth to the act of God. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children of whom I prevail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. At this my body, and this is Isaiah 21.3, At this my body is racked with pain, my stomach constricts, pangs seize me like those of a woman in labor. When Elijah prayed for rain, he assumed the position of a Jewish woman when she gave birth. In 1 Kings 18, it says, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. The question is, can children be born without pain? Can a revival come without pain? God is saying, no. It takes focused prayer and prevailing prayer to cause that to happen. Evan Roberts, who was the key to the revival in Wales, let me give you one experience that he had, which is fascinating. Again, this is referring to this kind of prayer. One Friday night last spring, while praying at my bedside before retiring, I was taken up to a great expanse without time or space. It was communion with God. Before this, I was afar off from God. I was frightened that night, but never since. So great was my shivering that I rocked the bed. And my brother, being awakened, took hold of me, thinking I was ill. This experience then took place nightly in Evan Roberts' life for three months, occurring every evening beginning at 10 p.m. until 5 a.m. And you thought you weren't getting sleep. And he wrote a message to the world about that, which I'm not going to read. John G. Lake said prayer was the key to his revive, to his ministry, but he didn't seem to have any time. And he simply said this in response, when do you find time to pray? He said, how glad I am that God has taught me to pray as I run and run as I pray. So as you, as you study revival, as, as I have done here, I went through books of revival this week. You will soon see that it is a cooperative effort between God's initiative and man's responsibility. Daniel saw God's timing and responded to it in prayer. Zechariah 10.1 says, Ask from the Lord rain in the season of latter rain. 
in the time of latter rain. It is God working with us that produces true revival. God moves, reigns, and comes in seasons. Then we have 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, and I close with this. We find Elisha and Elijah on their way home from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, he said, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, why would Elisha not leave Elijah? Because he knew that where Elijah was, the power of God was happening. Elisha was hungry for the things of God and did not want to miss them. But there were others in the school of the prophets. They knew as well as Elisha that Elijah was going to be taken from them that very day, but they followed from a distance. I think that applies to today's believers. So many of us as Christians today are like those of the school of prophets. They want God to move, but they only want to observe from a distance. Elisha represents the kind of people upon whom God pours out his spirit, a people who are hungry enough to do whatever it takes to see God's power in action. If you remember the story, Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want? Elisha replied, I want a double portion of what you have. Now let me say this. God is never anticlimactic. He will never be outdone by a previous move of his spirit. He tells us, greater things will you do than I have done. He will always surpass what he has done in the past. I believe that God fully intends to finish this age with the greatest outpouring of the spirit that the world has ever known. Elijah stipulated that if Elisha saw him, when God took him, Elisha would receive a double portion of the anointing that was upon him. And in a sudden moment, if you remember the story, the Flaming chariot comes down and picks Elijah up, whisks him away, and the mantle falls to the ground, and Elisha picks it up. Do you know what the first thing he did when he picked it up? He struck the water of the Jordan. Why did he do that? He wanted to say, he wanted to see if Elijah's word and God's word were true, to see if the miracle was really there. And if you remember the story, the Jordan split. Now, the question is, and this is the question in, in 1 Kings chapter, uh, verse 14. It says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I think maybe the real question is, not just where's the God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? Now, I, I believe that that vision that Dutch had, that he, why did he share it this week? The timing of God is always crucial. I've often said the timing of God is as important as the will of God. So the timing was this week. What's God saying? I don't know completely, but I do know God wants to do something. I, be, I believe that God wants to come in a, in a new wave of, of reviving, but it starts with our repentance and our prayers. I think we all are in a place of God, I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn. So many of us have lethargy. And we've just kind of grown cold or whatever. I, we all are in that place. And we've got to say, God, I believe that what Dutch saw is true. 
And if it was given in this church, why not believe it starts in this church? And that's, that's why Connie and I felt we should share this today, that the, the, the video, the clip, share a few thoughts and just say, if not us, who? If not now, when? Lord, do it now. In our day, do this. But it's going to take, it's going to take payment. It's going to take childbirthing. Revival takes birthing. And I, I could tell you other stories, which I don't have time. We need, to, we need to close today. But I want to challenge us. I think God's up to something. This nation has never seen the darkness that we have upon us. This nation has never seen the darkness we have in every mountain of influence. From government to business to education, we've never seen this. But that's when God shows up. And the hope that comes with God's reviving can stir all of us. But it starts with us. We have to have a reviving in us. We're not just looking for souls. We're looking to be revived so we can reach out for souls. And could it be that God has not brought the prodigals because we're not ready? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Lord God, we stand here in awe of you. We stand in the fear of the Lord, actually. And Lord, we repent. We turn away from our own, our own desires, our own will. We turn to you. Lord, clean us off. Clean us up. We ask, Lord, that the lethargy that we've had in our hearts... And the lack of passion, Lord, would be removed. You'd replace a cold heart with a hot heart. A heart driving for you. Lord, I'm praying right now that the power of the Spirit would now begin to fall in this room. Even as it fell 21 years ago. Even as we saw the prayers of revival during that time. We're believing that those prayers have been stored up and today we're adding more prayers to that bowl for this valley, for this, for this nation that will once again be filled to the full, will be poured out. We would see the revival that has been spoken of and declared, prophesied, and decreed. Lord, I'm praying right now by the power of the Spirit that you'd move in this room. Even as those, those words of Acts 3.19 were on the back wall and the vision was as a, as a vision or a movie across the back wall, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be moved. And Lord, there would come again in our hearts and in this room the power of the Holy Spirit to move us beyond the present mediocrity into the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we repent and turn away from that which would restrict us and hold us back. We ask, oh God, that you would come again, that you would revisit us in, this, in the 40th year of this church, in this 40th year, 2023, that you would come, you would visit, you would pour out, you would do things that we could never even imagine, oh God. 
Let God arise and let all of his enemies be scattered. Lord, we pray for renewal in our hearts. Pray for a touch of the Holy Spirit. Come to me, Lord. Come to each one of us. Remove the scales and the calluses. Let our hearts be soft and tender to the voice and the spirit of the living God. Lord, we pray this. Jesus, just with your heads bowed, is there anyone here that would, would say, you know, I, 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 need a, I need to reconnect with God. I, I'm not where I should be. I need to recommit and find myself in the presence of God once again. If that's you, would you right now lift your hand? Say, I want to reconnect with God right now. Just lift your hand right now. All across this room, dozens of you. Keep your hand up just for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you may put him down. Let's, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Father, re-energize my heart. I repent for my evil ways and I turn to you. Reclaim my life for the kingdom of God. I commit everything to you. Make me a brand new person. Let me be part of the revival to come and revive me, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.